Hello and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast. Brought to you by Biotechniques, this show brings you the latest from the frontiers of the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques Digital Editor, Tristan Free, and in this episode, supported by Roche, we'll be exploring a vital aspect of many next generation sequencing studies, target enrichment, where regions of interest are selectively amplified before sequencing takes place. So more specifically, we'll be taking a look at some of the new technologies that are improving and developing this key step. My guest today is Brian Goodwin, Director of Reagent and Assay Development at Roche Sequencing. Coming up, we'll discuss how limitations in target enrichment can impact studies. And what that can lead to is if you need to bring, let's say, those low coverage amplicons up to a higher level in sequencing, you have to sequence more. So you kind of lose the benefit of doing target enrichment because you actually have to do more sequencing to recover those low performers um, in the library and explore the improvements that changes in target enrichment technologies are bringing to oncology research. It works with low quality DNA. So formal and fixed paraffin embedded DNA, this DNA is damaged and a big challenge is performance of that DNA. Well, our library prep kits work really well with these low quality DNAs and they work well in this hyperpeak technology. But first, Brian, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Tristan. Thanks for having me. So firstly, Brian, why would you undertake target enrichment before sequencing? Why wouldn't you just sequence straight from a sample? Yeah, that's a, it's a great way to start this, this conversation. So if you wanted to sequence the entire genome, the entire human genome is about 3 billion bases approximately. If a researcher is really only interested in looking at a segment of the entire genome, why would they sequence the entire genome? Because we know sequencing costs money. So they're going to want to do some sort of enrichment of just the regions of interest. And an example of that is, let's say somebody just wants to study the exome or all of the exons within the genome. That is 1% of the entire genome. So you can ultimately save about a hundred fold sequencing cost. And then there are other things like more targeted panels, which could be one one thousandth of the genome. So it's really about saving that sequencing cost. It's about saving analysis cost. And by doing this, it allows them to sequence even deeper um, for some of the samples and some of their applications. And it enables them to study aberrations or variants more deeply in a sample. Okay, so it's giving you a much more specific look at the, um, the things that you're trying to explore and then also saving you a lot of time and, and ultimately money. Um, so what, what are some of the established technologies for target enrichment that are, are currently in use at the moment? Sure. So there, there are two major types of technologies on the market today. The first one is an amplicon technology, which most people think of this as PCR products. So, you know, almost everybody in life sciences knows PCR or has done PCR in some fashion or another. And this is where you're using target specific primers. Usually people think of them as a forward and a reverse primer. It allows people to amplify these particular regions. It could be one PCR product or it could be many PCR products. So it's a way of quickly and easily amplifying targets that could go into sequencing. In NGS or in next generation sequencing, people tend to do hundreds or maybe even thousands of amplicon targets. So it's very focused. Hybridization-based capture is the other technology that tends to be used. And this one is usually um, focused more on broad targets. So when I was talking about exome before, 
it's, you know, this is the technology people tend to use. And this, this like I said, has very broad um, regions of interest that it can target. And it usually has very high efficiency and extremely even coverage in enrichment. So it's really about performance with hybridization-based capture, where amplicons are more about ease of use and turnaround time. And so with those two technologies, what are some of the, um, the, the challenges or limitations that come with working with them? Sure. So hybridization capture, I'll start with that. So in general, this is a, a more complicated workflow. So this usually starts, or really it always starts with a library preparation where you start with uh, genomic DNA and you fragment that DNA and you make library molecules for that. And what you end up doing is uh, making these specific probes to the regions of interest or the researchers are doing this. And these get hybridized to the regions of interest. These probes have a biotin, which allows for a streptavidin uh, binding onto uh, these paramagnetic beads and enables the, the researchers to wash away anything that is off target or the probes aren't binding to. And the challenge with this is to get maximal efficiency, maximal performance, uh, this hybridization tends to have to go at least overnight uh, to capture all of the targets effectively. So you have a workflow that has more steps in these wash steps during um, the cleanup or the removal of these off-target reads. They can be quite cumbersome. And this is where customers and researchers tend to complain that this is a cumbersome step. On the flip side, Amplicon technologies, where I was saying it's fast and it's easy for researchers to use this. It's usually, it comes with a loss of evenness and coverage. So evenness of coverage is all of the, the amplicons that you may have in your library, they might not amplify as well as each other. So you ultimately will see more of one particular amplicon and less of another particular one. And the more amplicons you put together, the bigger the problem that this can be in the researcher's hands. And then another thing that uh, we like to talk about are looking for structural variants, rearrangements in the genome. With Amplicon technologies, you need to know both the forward uh, primer and the reverse primer binding site or the template. When you have a structural rearrangement and you don't know what it is, you can't design a primer to it. So you can't actually um, detect novel fusion partners. And the, the last piece about the last challenge of Amplicon technologies is every library molecule has primers in it. And to actually interrogate bases, you don't want to sequence the primer to interrogate or to investigate those bases because you're only looking at the primer sequence. So you actually have to trim those off bioinformatically. And so the, the floor of the amplicon sequencing then was the, um, the, the evenness of the, um, the amplification across the different targets and, and amplicons you've got there. Um, so is that does that mean that it'll give you a sort of a not particularly representative um, idea of what actually is in your sample, which targets are there and to what abundance? Less so than hybridization-based okay. capture. I mean, all of these Amplicon technology and all, all of these technologies in general, you can do optimization and solve some of those challenges. So you can have that unevenness of coverage. And what that can lead to is if you need to bring, let's say, those low coverage Amplicons up to a higher level in sequencing, you have to sequence more. So you kind of lose the benefit of doing target enrichment because you actually have to do more sequencing to recover those low performers um, in the library. 
how are people um, or what new technologies um, are looking to address these challenges? Um, maybe perhaps with that, that coverage issue in, in Amplicon sequencing, but then also the, uh, the time restraints and the complexity of the hybridization based approaches. Sure. For, you know, um, for Amplicons, it's really trying to limit the number of amplification cycles that you're doing with these target specific primers, because that's really where those biases come from or the unevenness in coverage is because anything you're doing multiple cycles, it becomes an exponential challenge. So it's usually in reduction of uh, those amplification cycles. With hybridization capture, um, there's been a lot of work on optimizing buffers um, for this, this overnight hybridization capture to make it shorter. And there's been some success in the industry, but in general, um, there are still limitations with it. So, um, you know, we go into our development with that understanding is how can we make target enrichment better? So how can we make it faster? How can we make it easier? How can we make it uh, higher performing? And um, in my team, we've been developing a technology for a few years and it's based on primer extension. And what we've done is re replace the hybridization step that's done in these probe-based uh, capture technologies with a primer extension step. Okay, so we're basically um, making use of the speed of primer extension and the ease of use of primer extension to do the capture steps as opposed to um, making these amplicons or these uh, PCR products. So ultimately our, what we call it is a, our peak technology or our hyper peak technology. It applies the speed of primer extension, um, but we get the performance of capture. Okay, um, so could you explain a little bit more about primary extension and, and what that actually means, what that um, process is? Oh, that's, that's a great question. Sometimes I forget to talk about this. So in PCR, it's multiple rounds of primer extension. And primer extension is something that is driv driven forward very quickly by polymerase. So again, you think about the first PCR cycle, you denature, and then you bring your temperature down and you anneal a primer and that primer gets extended by polymerase. And then you go into your second cycle, denature, and then you have another primer and you do that. Well, what we're doing with primer extension um, enrichment, we're taking just one cycle of this amplification or this polymerase extension. So we don't get the artifacts of like exponential um, biases. We basically do it once to do capture. So we take our primer, um, this primer has a biotin on it. We extend that primer and we capture molecules in our libraries, bind them to these streptavidin paramagnetic beads, which enables us to do some wash steps. And one of the things that we, you know, we knew going into this, other people have done this. Other labs have tried doing this uh, capture extension. And what they found is it does work to some degree. What we've done in our lab is actually applied a second primer extension. It's not about amplification in this case, it's not about PCR, but a second primer extension that is upstream to that capture primer or five prime to that capture primer. And this is a target specific primer too. And we call this our release primer. And we use this release primer to add specificity, to um, really get only the molecules that the researchers are interested in. When we do an extension with that, it makes use of flap endonuclease activity in the polymerase. And it releases specifically the target molecules out into solution where we can take them, put them into a PCR reaction, and then put them 
um, onto a sequencer. So usually I have the benefit of being able to uh, pull up slides and show people. Hopefully I've explained that well enough that, um, that your audience can understand that. Oh, I think that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty good uh, description of, of what's happening there. Um, and, and what is it that particularly excites you about this primary extension target enrichment process? It's really the performance. Um, so when we started working with this, just like any other um, project, any other any development project, you start and it doesn't really work that well. And then you make improvements over, over time. We've made a lot of improvements on this particular technology. And um, ultimately what we're seeing is really good performance. So, you know, I was saying we want to hit that performance of hybridization-based capture and we've gotten there, okay? So we're getting very good performance, evenness of coverage, and we're getting very good variant detection. So things that I talked about a little bit earlier, researchers are looking for these variants and samples. And what we found is we're really finding these variants well. Um, the other things, uh, the, the library prep that's used in front of the, this PEAT technology or this primer extension technology, it works with low quality DNA. So formal and fixed paraffin embedded DNA, and this is going to be common terminology for anybody in the oncology field, they know that this DNA is damaged and a big challenge is performance of that DNA. Well, our library prep kits work really well with these low quality DNAs and they work well in uh, this hyper-peak technology. Um, and then some of the other things, we're getting feedback from some of our early test sites and they're saying exactly what we've been developing to. They love the performance and the ease of use, and they love the the performance or the the variant detection performance. Uh, so, with the increased ability to deal with that poor quality DNA and that increased variant detection ability as well, what aspects of cancer research do you think that this that this technology is really going to improve? Right now, researchers either choose amplicon technologies or they choose hybridization-based technologies, and they have to weigh the option here. Um, do they want a fast and easy workflow or do they want this high-performing workflow? Uh, so um, what, what we've tried to do is build a tool or a solution for them where they don't have to choose. They could um, take this tool, which is fast and easy and has high performance. And it works on, uh, on these challenging samples, whether it's poor quality nucleic acid coming from formal and fixed paraffin embedded tissue, or it's low quantity uh, input from, let's say, uh, plasma samples where uh, researchers are dealing with low input or, uh, sorry, low um, yields of DNA from those particular plasma samples. Which other fields do you think that this technology will, um, will impact? Our primary focus is really on the oncology, um, in the oncology field, uh, where you know researchers are looking for focused panels, so these kind of smaller panels, so they can uh, do some really deep sequence for uh, identifying these low allele frequencies or these rare um, alleles that are in those samples, because it gives you the high performance and it works with the low input and or low quality samples. So it's really about those formal and fixed paraffin embedded tissue, DNA samples and RNA samples uh, to uh, study single nucleotide variants, uh, short insertions or deletions, which uh, these are all um, variations or variants that are in a sample that are important to uh, the oncology research field. 
copy number variants. And then there's one that is being studied. So it's not a variant so much as it's, um, it's a marker. So microsatellite instability um, is something that you'll hear in cancer research now. And this is really measuring the mismatch repair deficiencies that may be in a cancer tissue. And it's done by looking at either expansion or uh, contraction of, let's say, a homopolymer re repeat. And the real value to this is there are cancer immunotherapies that are known to work well on tumors that have these MSI um, high statuses in them or where there's a high DNA mismatch repair um, deficiency. And if there was one thing that you could ask for to enable primary extension target enrichment to make sort of the greatest possible impact on, on the next generation sequencing and the oncology community, um, what would it be? It's, it's a great question. And this really goes down um, the, oncology, the oncology path. So most people have been impacted by cancer in some way or another in their lives, whether it's them directly or a loved one or somebody that they know. And there's a lot of cancer research that's ongoing today. And this is being done um, to more effectively diagnose patients and to more effectively treat patients um, who have cancer. And I think hyperpeats um, is an effective solution for the NGS community to study the genetics of cancer. And this, the goal really here is to develop these better diagnostics. It's to develop better treatments in general. So what I'm hoping is that there's going to be a widespread adoption of this solution to study the genetics of cancer and to make an impact on the health of the population and ultimately to improve patients' lives. Fantastic. Well, those are all of my questions. Um, have you got any last points that you would like to add? Um, no, I don't. Uh, but thank you for having me here. Brilliant. Well, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Great. Thank you. If you've enjoyed the episode and would like to find more like it, you can check out the podcast section of our website over on www.biotechniques.com or follow at Tristan on Twitter for regular updates and threads on our latest episodes. Thank you for listening and goodbye.